how the transition can actually benefit industrial competitiveness or energy security, then we have a debate that is much closer to leaders' concerns. Welcome to The Jolt. It's the 16th of January. I'm Kira Taylor, your host. Later in the episode, we'll be looking at the EU's 2040 climate target ahead of its publication in February. First, let's take a look at what's happening in the world of energy and climate. A group of 27 investors in energy giant Shell are urging the company to set higher climate targets in line with the Paris Agreement. Combined, the group manages just under 4 trillion euros in assets and owns around 5% of Shell's stock. It also includes Europe's largest investor, Amundi. The group filed a climate resolution alongside Green shareholder group Follow This to request Shell aligns its mid-term emission reduction targets with the Paris Agreement. Threats by Yemen's Houthi movement on shipping passing through the Red Sea are continuing. The group said on Monday that it would expand its targets in the region to include US ships, according to Reuters. The attacks have been ongoing since November, but the group had previously said it was focusing on Israeli ships or those en route to Israel. On Monday, US-based operator Eagle Bulk Shipping reported a vessel carrying steel products was hit by an unidentified projectile. The attack caused a fire, but the ship continued on its way. A Marshall Islands-flagged US-owned bulk carrier was also reportedly struck by a missile. Qatar Energy has now joined those avoiding the Red Sea, a senior source told Reuters. The second largest liquefied natural gas exporter said it was taking a pause to get security advice on travelling through the region. The other option is going all the way around Africa, a journey which adds around nine days to a trip from Qatar to northwest Europe. Expect a reshuffle on the global climate stage. Yesterday, we reported that US climate envoy John Kerry is stepping down from his role. His Chinese counterpart, Xi Qinghao, is also leaving his position and will be replaced by foreign ministry diplomat Li Shenmin. It follows the EU's climate chief, Franz Timmermans, returning to Dutch politics last year and uncertainty as to who will take the top EU climate job after the European elections. So we could see a big change as we turn our focus from COP28 to COP29, hosted in Azerbaijan at the end of 2024. Unfortunately, that change may not include many women from the COP29 host country. The Guardian reports that Azerbaijan's organising committee for the International Climate Summit consists of 28 people, all of whom are men. The decision is regressive according to the She Changes Climate Group, which is urging Baku to include women. The group, which targets more diversity in climate action, also flagged concerns about the head of Azerbaijan's state gas distribution network being on the committee. Azerbaijan is the second petrostate in a row to take the reins at COP. Poland's approach to climate policies appears to be shifting following an election that ousted the right-wing populist Law and Justice Party. The election put former European Council President Donald Tusk back in the top job in Warsaw. The new government has announced plans to set an end date for coal fuel power in its energy mix, a major change from the previous government that only had a deadline for ending coal mining. However, it is yet to be seen how the Polish government could implement an end date for coal power. Warsaw is also shifting when it comes to EU climate policy. The government has spoken positively about a potential target to reduce net emissions by 90% by 2040, marking another major change. 
Poland was one of the last countries to get on board with the EU's pledge to reach net zero by 2050 and went to court over the EU's new green legislation in 2023. Another big European coal user, Bulgaria, expects the polluting energy source to be phased out not due to policy but because of market economics. The country aims to phase out coal power by 2038, but the country's climate minister, Julian Popov, told Reuters he expects the market to push coal out earlier than this. The EU's emissions trading scheme puts a price on pollution from the power sector, which hits coal hard. Coal produces around twice as much carbon dioxide as gas. North America is facing a cold snap that is testing its energy system. Cold weather has already strained the grid in the Canadian province of Alberta, with warnings sent to consumers about potential power outages. It led to Alberta's utilities minister, Nathan Nordoff, saying he had high concern about whether the province is building enough new power generation capacity. Meanwhile, the US is facing the biggest drop in fossil gas supplies in over a year, as wells freeze. This comes amid a record high heating demand pushing up energy prices. Albania has launched an auction for 300 megawatts of solar power. The Balkan country is offering support in the form of 15-year contracts for difference. It aims to be a net exporter of energy and wants to diversify away from its reliance on hydropower. And finally, good news for fans of both whiskey and the environment. EDF Renewables and the Macallan Estate, which distills whiskey in the Scottish Highlands, have been given the go-ahead for a 4-megawatt solar power project. They will install ground-mounted solar panels with the capacity to provide half of the distillery's daytime electricity consumption. That's all of your news updates for today. Now let's move on to a closer look at the story of the moment. The European Commission is expected to set out its plan for the European Union's 2040 emissions reduction target on the 6th of February, and one of the last big climate announcements of the executive's current term. The EU Scientific Advisory Board has already weighed in on the discussion, saying that the EU should aim for a reduction of 90 to 95% net emissions based on 1990 levels. The idea to reduce emissions by 90% by 2040 was picked up by EU Green Deal Chief Maros Sefcovic and EU Climate Chief Wupke Hoekstra in a hearing with the European Parliament. It has also seen support from Denmark, Poland and Bulgaria. For some EU countries, the 2040 target is similar to their ambitions. Finland aims to be carbon neutral by 2035, something its large forest cover will likely help with, and Denmark is aiming to reach carbon neutrality by 2045. For other EU countries, particularly coal-reliant ones like Poland, a 90% emissions reduction is a big leap from where they are today. I spoke to Linda Keiker, the executive director of pan-European think tank Strategic Perspectives, about the target. It's a politically difficult climate for now, so I don't think we will have a climate ambition debate. I think if we more look how the transition can actually benefit industrial competitiveness or energy security, then we have a debate that is much closer to leaders' concerns, as obviously they still feel the competition from China or the US, who both have very strong industrial policies on green tech. They really want to dominate the international markets, and so it becomes a key necessity for leaders to do that. 
we also still have seen how much money leaders actually have to put in importing gas and keeping energy prices low. So the more electricity gets produced here, the more it's renewable, the more it's affordable for households. So if we look at it through that lens, then I can see how they yeah, have a very structured approach to this is beneficial for us. So it becomes a security issue rather than a climate issue. I think meanwhile it is uh, a security issue for many, especially if you looked at how they structured the IRA in the US. The Inflation Reduction Act is really meant to have your companies producing the green tech you need. They've been also very targeted where they allocate the jobs, especially uh, in the Rust Belt, we saw close to 200,000 jobs being created so that they actually see, hey, that's a benefit for you because it will pay your bills and you have your jobs here. And obviously we see that a lot of European regions going through multiple transitions now. So if the Europeans do it smartly, it also is a, is a prosperity agenda for these regions. One element of the target still up for discussion is the role of carbon removals. These will form the net element of the target by taking emissions out of the atmosphere. I asked Linda how she saw this working. So the same day that they will propose the 2040 target, there will also be the industrial carbon management strategy proposed. So we expect that they are very specific on how big the sink is that comes from nature, so forests, so peat. Um, and then we also will see how much CCS uh, or how much carbon capture for usage will be included. So I think the more clarity we get on the natural sinks and the tech removals, the better, especially as there is uncertainty on the nature. We've seen the sink actually declining, whereas we hope it will grow to capture more carbon naturally. We see that the Commission might be tempted to put a lot of CCS in there. We've seen figures around 450 million tonnes being captured by 2050. Our own modelling says it's only about 50 million tonnes in 2040. And just to give a comparison, that's about the amount that was captured in 2022 at the global level. In July 2023, Linda published a report with strategic perspectives on the 2040 target. The report outlines key milestones required to reach a 90% reduction. The first is a zero emissions power sector by 2037, based on a solid deployment of renewables. It envisions 80% of the electricity mix coming from renewables in 2040, which would further strengthen Europe's energy security. The second is a drive to electrify the economy, with the potential for over half of heating and industrial energy demand to be electrified by 2040, alongside 85% of the car fleet. Alongside electrification, the think tank argues there will need to be a big drive on circularity. This could halve industrial emissions and help reduce supply chain risks. Finally, manufacturing strategic net zero technologies is crucial to Europe meeting the 90% goal. This is particularly in the context of competition from other countries, such as China. But it's not just 2040 that Brussels needs to think about. The EU will also need to submit its next nationally determined contribution for 2035 at the beginning of next year. It's interesting talking about 2035 as well, because I think certainly in Brussels, it's something which people aren't speaking about as much. How important is it that the Commission does that work on 2035 as well? Well, I think if they want to keep the international leadership, it's very relevant because the next national pledges that will be submitted to the UN 
have to be submitted at November this year until February next year. That's the deadline that they just agreed a month ago in Dubai, and that counts for every country at the global level. But that's with a 2035 time frame. So it's important that this will be published as well in order to inform that debate. Uh, and we know that other countries, especially the Chinese, are already starting to plan and obviously the Europeans will want to have a 2035 targets because that allows comparability at the international level. So we really hope that this comes as well to meet the international deadlines. While 2025 feels a long time away, this year is likely to be taken up with elections and political shuffling to get the top jobs in Brussels. There are also questions as to how much the next EU presidency held by Hungary will want to talk climate. Because of this, Linda wants to look at bringing the conversation forwards. So for 2035 and 2040, do you have any concerns or do you think the European Union needs to do anything now rather than later to push forwards on that ambition? I think there's really an opportunity to have that debate now and especially the benefit of adopting it, for example, in, in May or June as part of the strategic agenda, which is the document that sets the priorities from leaders for the next commission, it would be a very important emphasis to have it adopted there because then it will guide the next budget, it will guide the next policy cycle of the commission, and you can have a better debate about what technologies you want to produce, what you consume, about your imports, where you need the electrolyzers, where you need the battery manufacturing. So it becomes very concrete. So it feels a very good timing to do it in the next month. There's a risk that afterwards there's not a lot of political space for that. We will see the hearings of the commissioners. We will see a new president in the European Council first coming at interim, then probably a formal one, so that's not a good setting under the Hungarians. And then you have the Polish presidency. If they would only start discussing that then, then there's a risk that it really takes until June or October next year under the Danish presidency, and then you're almost too late for the international deadline. So it, some might argue we will only have the 2035 NDC ready in COP 30 in Brazil in 2025, but then that's not what the international leadership looks like. That's all we have time for today. Many thanks for joining me. Sam will be back tomorrow with more news from around the world, so please tune in then. He's also planning a longer chat with Linda on our sister podcast, Policy Dispatch, so keep an eye out for that. If you've got a moment, why not go and check out Foresight's shiny new website? Head to foresightmedia.com to check out all our latest reporting. And while you're there, why not consider becoming a member of our community of listeners and readers? Thanks to everyone at Foresight for helping make the job possible and shout out to Mute Island for providing the theme music. Until next time, thanks for being a part of the job. Thank you.